file fifty of a treatise of human nature by david hume volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by george jaeger book three of morals part three of the other virtues and vices section two of greatness of mind it may now be proper to illustrate this general system of morals by applying it to particular instances of virtue and vice and shewing how their merit or demerit arises from the four sources here explained we shall begin with examining the passions of pride and humility and shall consider the vice or virtue that lies in their excesses or just proportion an excessive pride or overweening conceit of ourselves is always esteemed vicious and is universally hated as modesty or a just sense of our weakness is esteemed virtuous and procures the good will of every one of the four sources of moral distinctions this is to be ascribed to the third that is the immediate agreeableness and disagreeableness of equality to others without any reflections on the tendency of that quality in order to prove this we must have recourse to two principles which are very conspicuous in human nature the first of these is the sympathy and communication of sentiments and passions above mentioned so close and intimate is the correspondence of human souls that no sooner any person approaches me than he diffuses on me all his opinions and draws along my judgment in a greater or lesser degree and though on many occasions my sympathy with him goes not so far as entirely to change my sentiments and way of thinking yet it seldom is so weak as not to disturb the easy course of my thought and give an authority to that opinion which is recommended to me by his assent and approbation nor is it any way material upon what subject he and i employ our thoughts whether we judge of an indifferent person or of my own character my sympathy gives equal force to his decision and even his sentiments of his own merit make me consider him in the same light in which he regards himself this principle of sympathy is of so powerful and insinuating a nature that it enters into most of our sentiments and passions and often takes place under the appearance of its contrary for it is remarkable that when a person opposes me in anything which i am strongly bent upon and rouses up my passion by contradiction i have always a degree of sympathy with him nor does my commotion proceed from any other origin we may here observe an evident conflict or rencounter of opposite principles and passions on the one side there is that passion or sentiment which is natural to me and it is observable that the stronger this passion is the greater is the commotion there must also be some passion or sentiment on the other side and this passion can proceed from nothing but sympathy the sentiments of others can never affect us but by becoming in some measure our own 
in which case they operate upon us by opposing and increasing our passions in the very same manner as if they had been originally derived from our own temper and disposition while they remain concealed in the minds of others they can never have any influence upon us and even when they are known if they went no farther than the imagination or conception that faculty is so accustomed to objects of every different kind that a mere idea though contrary to our sentiments and inclinations would never alone be able to affect us the second principle i shall take notice of is that of comparison or the variation of our judgments concerning objects according to the proportion they bear to those with which we compare them we judge more of objects by comparison than by their intrinsic worth and value and regard everything as mean when set in opposition to what is superior of the same kind but no comparison is more obvious than that with ourselves and hence it is that on all occasions it takes place and mixes with most of our passions this kind of comparison is directly contrary to sympathy in its operation as we have observed in treating of compassion and malice in book two part two section eight in all kinds of comparison an object makes us always receive from another to which it is compared a sensation contrary to what arises from itself in its direct and immediate survey the direct survey of another's pleasure naturally gives us pleasure and therefore produces pain when compared with our own his pain considered in itself is painful but augments the idea of our own happiness and gives us pleasure since then those principles of sympathy and a comparison with ourselves are directly contrary it may be worth while to consider what general rules can be formed beside the particular temper of the person for the prevalence of the one or the other suppose i am now in safety at land and would willingly reap some pleasure from this consideration i must think on the miserable condition of those who are at sea in a storm and must endeavour to render this idea as strong and lively as possible in order to make me more sensible of my own happiness but whatever pains i may take the comparison will never have an equal efficacy as if i were really on the shore footnote twenty six readers note the latin from lucretius is not read here rather the english translation there is something pleasant in watching from dry land the great difficulties another man is undergoing out on the high sea with the winds lashing the waters this is not because one derives delight from any man's distress but because it is pleasurable to perceive from what troubles one is oneself free End of footnote 26 And saw a ship at a distance, tossed by a tempest, and in danger every moment of perishing on a rock or sandbank. But suppose this idea to become still more lively. 
suppose the ship to be driven so near me that i can perceive distinctly the horror painted on the countenance of the seamen and passengers hear their lamentable cries see the dearest friends give their last adieu or embrace with a resolution to perish in each other's arms no man has so savage a heart as to reap any pleasure from such a spectacle or withstand the motions of the tenderest compassion and sympathy it is evident therefore there is a medium in this case and that if the idea be too faint it has no influence by comparison and on the other hand if it be too strong it operates on us entirely by sympathy which is the contrary to comparison sympathy being the conversion of an idea into an impression demands a greater force and vivacity in the idea than is requisite to comparison all this is easily applied to the present subject we sink very much in our own eyes when in the presence of a great man or one of a superior genius and this humility makes a considerable ingredient in that respect which we pay our superiors according to our foregoing reasonings on that passion in book two part two section ten sometimes even envy and hatred arise from the comparison but in the greatest part of men it rests at respect and esteem as sympathy has such a powerful influence on the human mind it causes pride to have in some measure the same effect as merit and by making us enter into those elevated sentiments which the proud man entertains of himself presents that comparison which is so mortifying and disagreeable our judgment does not entirely accompany him in the flattering conceit in which he pleases himself but still is so shaken as to receive the idea it presents and to give it an influence above the loose conceptions of the imagination a man who in an idle humour would form a notion of a person of a merit very much superior to his own would not be mortified by that fiction but when a man whom we are really persuaded to be of inferior merit is presented to us if we observe in him any extraordinary degree of pride and self-conceit the firm persuasion he has of his own merit takes hold of the imagination and diminishes us in our own eyes in the same manner as if he were really possessed of all the good qualities which he so liberally attributes to himself our idea is here precisely in that medium which is requisite to make it operate on us by comparison were it accompanied with belief and did the person appear to have the same merit which he assumes to himself it would have a contrary effect and would operate on us by sympathy the influence of that principle would then be superior to that of comparison contrary to what happens where the person's merit seems below his pretensions the necessary consequence of these principles is that pride or an overweening conceit of ourselves must be vicious since it causes uneasiness in all men and presents them every moment with a disagreeable comparison it is a trite observation in philosophy and even in common life and conversation 
that it is our own pride which makes us so much displeased with the pride of other people and that vanity becomes insupportable to us merely because we are vain the gay naturally associate themselves with the gay and the amorous with the amorous but the proud never can endure the proud and rather seek the company of those who are of an opposite disposition as we are all of us proud in some degree pride is universally blamed and condemned by all mankind as having a natural tendency to cause uneasiness in others by means of comparison and this effect must follow the more naturally that those who have an ill-grounded conceit of themselves are for ever making those comparisons nor have they any other method of supporting their vanity a man of sense and merit is pleased with himself independent of all foreign considerations but a fool must always find some person that is more foolish in order to keep himself in good humour with his own parts and understanding but though an overweening conceit of our own merit be vicious and disagreeable nothing can be more laudable than to have a value for ourselves where we really have qualities that are valuable the utility and advantage of any quality to ourselves is a source of virtue as well as its agreeableness to others and it is certain that nothing is more useful to us in the conduct of life than a due degree of pride which makes us sensible of our own merit and gives us a confidence and assurance in all our projects and enterprises whatever capacity any one may be endowed with it is entirely useless to him if he be not acquainted with it and form not designs suitable to it it is requisite on all occasions to know our own force and were it allowable to err on either side it would be more advantageous to overrate our merit than to form ideas of it below its just standard fortune commonly favours the bold and enterprising and nothing inspires us with more boldness than a good opinion of ourselves add to this that though pride or self-applause be sometimes disagreeable to others it is always agreeable to ourselves as on the other hand modesty though it give pleasure to every one who observes it produces often uneasiness in the person endowed with it now it has been observed that our own sensations determine the vice and virtue of any quality as well as those sensations which it may excite in others thus self-satisfaction and vanity may not only be allowable but requisite in a character it is however certain that good breeding and decency require that we should avoid all signs and expressions which tend directly to show that passion we have all of us a wonderful partiality for ourselves and were we always to give vent to our sentiments in this particular we should mutually cause the greatest indignation in each other not only by the immediate presence of so disagreeable a subject of comparison but also by the contrariety of our judgments in like manner therefore 
as we establish the laws of nature in order to secure property in society and prevent the opposition of self-interest we establish the rules of good breeding in order to prevent the opposition of men's pride and render conversation agreeable and inoffensive nothing is more disagreeable than a man's overweening conceit of himself every one almost has a strong propensity to this vice no one can well distinguish in himself betwixt the vice and virtue or be certain that his esteem of his own merit is well founded for these reasons all direct expressions of this passion are condemned nor do we make any exception to this rule in favour of men of sense and merit they are not allowed to do themselves justice openly in words no more than other people and even if they show a reserve and secret doubt in doing themselves justice in their own thoughts they will be more applauded that impertinent and almost universal propensity of men to overvalue themselves has given us such a prejudice against self-applause that we are apt to condemn it by a general rule wherever we meet with it and it is with some difficulty we give a privilege to men of sense even in their most secret thoughts at least it must be owned that some disguise in this particular is absolutely requisite and that if we harbour pride in our breasts we must carry a fair outside and have the appearance of modesty and mutual deference in all our conduct and behaviour we must on every occasion be ready to prefer others to ourselves to treat them with a kind of deference even though they be our equals to seem always the lowest and least in the company where we are not very much distinguished above them and if we observe these rules in our conduct men will have more indulgence for our secret sentiments when we discover them in an oblique manner i believe no one who has any practice of the world and can penetrate into the inward sentiments of men will assert that the humility which good breeding and decency require of us goes beyond the outside or that a thorough sincerity in this particular is esteemed a real part of our duty on the contrary we may observe that a genuine and hearty pride or self-esteem if well concealed and well founded is essential to the character of a man of honour and that there is no quality of the mind which is more indispensably requisite to procure the esteem and approbation of mankind there are certain differences and mutual submissions which custom requires of the different ranks of men towards each other and whoever exceeds in this particular if through interest is accused of meanness if through ignorance of simplicity it is necessary therefore to know our rank and station in the world whether it be fixed by our birth fortune employments talents or reputation it is necessary to feel the sentiment and passion of pride in conformity to it and to regulate our actions accordingly and should it be said that prudence may suffice to regulate our actions in this particular without any real pride 
i would observe that here the object of prudence is to conform our actions to the general usage and custom and that it is impossible those tacit airs of superiority should ever have been established and authorized by custom unless men were generally proud and unless that passion were generally approved when well grounded if we pass from common life and conversation to history this reasoning acquires new force when we observe that all those great actions and sentiments which have become the admiration of mankind are founded on nothing but pride and self-esteem go says alexander the great to his soldiers when they refused to follow him to the indies go tell your countrymen that you left alexander completing the conquest of the world this passage was always particularly admired by the prince of conde as we learn from saint evremond alexander said that prince abandoned by his soldiers among barbarians not yet fully subdued felt in himself such a dignity and right of empire that he could not believe it possible any one could refuse to obey him whether in europe or in asia among the greeks or persians all was indifferent to him wherever he found men he fancied he had found subjects in general we may observe that whatever we call heroic virtue and admire under the character of greatness and elevation of mind is either nothing but a steady and well-established pride and self-esteem or partakes largely of that passion courage intrepidity ambition love of glory magnanimity and all the other shining virtues of that kind have plainly a strong mixture of self-esteem in them and derive a great part of their merit from that origin accordingly we find many religious disclaimers decry those virtues as purely pagan and natural and represent to us the excellency of the christian religion which places humility in the rank of virtues and corrects the judgment of the world and even of philosophers who so generally admire all the efforts of pride and ambition whether this virtue of humility has been rightly understood i shall not pretend to determine i am content with the concession that the world naturally esteems a well-regulated pride which secretly animates our conduct without breaking out into such indecent expressions of vanity as may offend the vanity of others the merit of pride or self-esteem is derived from two circumstances that is its utility and its agreeableness to ourselves by which it capacitates us for business and at the same time gives us an immediate satisfaction when it goes beyond its just bounds it loses the first advantage and even becomes prejudicial which is the reason why we condemn an extravagant pride and ambition however regulated by the decorums of good breeding and politeness but as such a passion is still agreeable and conveys an elevated and sublime sensation to the person who is actuated by it the sympathy with that satisfaction diminishes considerably the blame which naturally attends its dangerous influence on his conduct and behavior 
accordingly we may observe that an excessive courage and magnanimity especially when it displays itself under the frowns of fortune contributes in a great measure to the character of a hero and will render a person the admiration of posterity at the same time that it ruins his affairs and leads him into dangers and difficulties with which otherwise he would never have been acquainted heroism or military glory is much admired by the generality of mankind they consider it as the most sublime kind of merit men of cool reflection are not so sanguine in their praises of it the infinite confusions and disorder which it has caused in the world diminish much of its merit in their eyes when they would oppose the popular notions on this head they always paint out the evils which this supposed virtue has produced in human society the subversion of empires the devastation of provinces the sack of cities as long as these are present to us we are more inclined to hate than admire the ambition of heroes but when we fix our view on the person himself who is the author of all this mischief there is something so dazzling in his character the mere contemplation of it so elevates the mind that we cannot refuse it our admiration the pain which we receive from its tendency to the prejudice of society is overpowered by a stronger and more immediate sympathy thus our explication of the merit or demerit which attends the degrees of pride or self-esteem may serve as a strong argument for the preceding hypothesis by showing the effects of those principles above explained in all the variations of our judgments concerning that passion nor will this reasoning be advantageous to us only by shewing that the distinction of vice and virtue arises from the four principles of the advantage and of the pleasure of the person himself and of others but may also afford us a strong proof of some underparts of that hypothesis no one who duly considers of this matter will make any scruple of allowing that any piece of ill-breeding or any expression of pride and haughtiness is displeasing to us merely because it shocks our own pride and leads us by sympathy into a comparison which causes the disagreeable passion of humility now as an insolence of this kind is blamed even in a person who has always been civil to ourselves in particular nay in one whose name is only known to us in history it follows that our disapprobation proceeds from a sympathy with others and from the reflection that such a character is highly displeasing and odious to every one who converses or has any intercourse with the person possessed of it we sympathize with those people in their uneasiness and as their uneasiness proceeds in part from a sympathy with the person who insults them we may here observe a double rebound of the sympathy which is a principle very similar to what we have observed on another occasion in book two part two section five end of file fifty